0: In three, two, one.
1: Walt Disney said, if we can dream it, we can do it. And it's kind of fun to do the impossible. Millions of people concur with these sentiments, but some can't even comprehend them. Most of us need assistance to believe our dreams will work. We all know how to dream, but do we know how to allow our dreams to transform into reality? That may sound like a silly question. After all, living our dreams requires work, right? If you'd like to learn how to do more, see more, be more, have more, and give more, and learn how to transform your dreams into reality, you're going to enjoy my conversation with Larry Stevenson. Well, hi, Larry. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Michael. Appreciate you inviting me to be here. Where do we find you? Europe in the Salt Lake City area. I'm in the Salt Lake City
0: area, but love to travel anywhere.
1: Well, you've certainly been a busy person. I know you've been doing it for 40 years in 30 plus countries and talking and sharing with organizations and individuals how to make their dreams come true. Your body of work is just amazing. And I found you by actually listening to one of your podcasts. So thanks for producing that. Lots of gems, which is why we're talking today. Thank you. My goal is to give back and pay it forward. Well, it's a good way to do it. Wait, today's marketplace, particularly with COVID, you've seen so many things change. For instance, as speakers we had to evolve and adapt just like the travel agency had to as well. Some industries did really well and things got accelerated. And and prior to COVID, my clients were asking me, what are the trends 10 years from now? What should we expect to see? It's already here. It's been compressed and accelerated. So the evolution that's taken place over just the last 24 months during the pandemic has just been amazing. But to survive and to thrive in a rapidly changing marketplace, because that rate of acceleration is increasing, you've got to maintain that in order just to make it. So businesses need to evolve and adapt. How do we best do that? How do you recommend to companies and organizations to adapt and evolve?
0: If I can back up a little bit, one of the things they found is in this industry, this industrial age, if you will, economic age, it's essential to have ingenuity, communication, and self-motivation. Companies have to be able to not only generate themselves ingenious thoughts and movements, but foster the ingenuity of their staff, which is a huge change from before where we were looking for employees who were obedient and dependable. We wanted them to show up on time at the certain time and weld the door the way we told them to weld the door. And
1: that's all changed. Well, that came out of the industrial age, right? In agricultural age, where we were factory workers and we just wanted obedience and just to do it. But I remember in universities, there was a big emphasis on math and science. And if you were that way, you went on track if you were vocationally oriented you went that direction and that seems to be the arts and creative folks seem to be leading the way these days because they're the ones that are innovating a lot of the things that we're doing in the marketplace so innovation is a huge part of it yes definitely huge part. That's why I like the work that Clayton Christensen did on the innovators dilemma. Well, we all know that having a vision of some sort and company leaders, some companies can do it well and some companies don't. In a lot of your body of your work, you talk about some of the organizations that have fallen by the wayside. I saw one stat that in year 2000, out of those Fortune 500, 75% of those companies don't exist anymore. And they've all been downsized, right-sized, capsized. There's been mergers and acquisitions and things that were popular Back then, have changed. And you give different examples of organizations. And I really like the ones that we can all relate to. But even starting back with. When computers came to be, you had the IBM typewriter. You talk about Olivetti. And I remember when Office Machines came out. So companies, if they set a vision, if they have a goal, is there hiring individuals in organization? is that what we should be looking for?
0: We really should be.
1: And part of it is we've
0: got to have that vision based on some foundational principles, if you will. Sure. An example, given what we're talking about, is JCPenney and Sears. Right. right. We're famous for having catalog sales. Exactly. They innovated the entire concept of you don't have to walk into a store to buy something, you can buy it from home, which then they didn't follow through and say, Oh, you don't need a catalog, you can do it on a computer and order it online. And if Sears and JCPenney had had that vision continuing and adapting to the technology, Amazon wouldn't have had a chance. Oh, well, they would have been the Amazon, and it's... They would have been. Yes. Instead, they're closing, going out of business. When they pioneered what Amazon, all they did was digitized it.
1: Well, you see this all over the place. There's the business graveyard Like Polaroid. Who invented digital photography? You've got Polaroid, Kodak. Who should have invented digital photography? They were the instant photography Folks, right? They're the ones who should have come up with the technologies, but they didn't. They've gone by the wayside. There's so many examples of companies that have failed to transition, failed to make the move, and then they go by the wayside. Take BlackBerry. I was a big BlackBerry user. Loved it. Loved the technology. It was great to work with. Apple comes out with the iPhone just right after the iPod, after 9-11. Then one year displaced them. It was that simple. It was that quick. And so technology can hurt you. Technology is part of that. But when companies and organizations and individuals want to look into to their future and adapt to those realities, is there some formulas or is there some processes that you recommend that they could follow? I suggest, and this
0: isn't something I created, it's something I discovered after watching Thousands, Literally, I've worked with thousands of people, thousands, hundreds of businesses right. over my career. And I discovered that there are kind of five basic steps that those who really let their dreams work, who are successful, follow. And that is, first, they can generate possibilities. Right. Second, they optimize their connections. They recognize they can't do it by themselves. They connect to what's already been done, what is available, and what is looking forward. Right, They act consistently and they label their limitations. A lot of people hesitate to really look at limitations. I say you've got to label them and approach them dead on. And then finally, synergize purposefully. Those are the five things that I Mm. find that to keep it going is generate the possibilities of what you want to be, whether it's an individual or an organization, what you want to see, what you want to do, what you want to have, and very importantly, what you want to give. Give Mm. to your clients, give to your staff, give to your employees, give to your community. Some of the great businesses that really succeeded were businesses that were innovative. They had the ability to be, to see, to do, to have, but they gave. A lot of people don't know this, but Bill Gates, we all know about no, the easy, Bill and Linda Gates Foundation. Absolutely. But Bill also, inside Microsoft, had classes for his top people who all became millionaires on how to set up charitable foundations to give and give back to the community. Steve Jobs was an amazing visionary, but also had this concept of giving to the community, giving to his people, the wild parties and all the things that we heard about was his way of giving to his staff and giving to his
1: clients. And too many times business owners lose sight of that part. So taking the broader view then of who you are and where you want to go is essential. Because like I say, if you have a narrow view or a narrow perspective, you're done. It's kind of like taxis who should have invented uber is the taxi service right but they were just this is all that we do one of my clients was ge and at the turn of the century we used ice boxes to keep food fresh right ge comes in with an emerging technology electricity refrigeration and overnight the great american icebox company which had the whole pie went out of business. Now, had they been in the, we keep food fresher and longer business, they'd still be in business, but they weren't, they were in the wrong business. Do you find that it's easier to say, okay, what is it that we actually do? Not the product so much, but what's the business? In other words, they don't buy the widget, they buy what it does, or the vision of that company, what it does or enables.
0: Definitely. And how you define that vision and communicate it both internally and externally. You talked about Olivetti typewriter, Royal typewriters, and, international business machines. And as long as they were international business machines, they really stayed ahead of the market. But then they started saying, no, we're IBM and we make mainframes and came in too late to the PC world because they made that little shift in how they define themselves. Bill Marriott Jr., brilliant man who said, we're going to stop owning buildings and we're going to manage hotels and we're going to take care of travelers the best way possible.
1: Yeah. They've got all their different brands from the W's to the courtyards, all the different brand experiences, because it's all about the experience. That's smart. Yes.
0: And that was the vision they had. And so this defining of what it is you want to provide, what it is you want to give, what experiences or service or products, that's crucial. And then not locking yourself in to one application of that, but recognizing that applications are going to change on
1: how we deliver that
0: all the time.
1: Sure. So companies that fail to envision that future or have set a course to open up to the bigger umbrella, if you were the broader perspective... They really are ripe for disruption, aren't they? That's why companies come in and disrupt. I was reading in one of your articles that you were talking about the NCR corporation, and I remember NCR cash registers. We all had them. That was the game in town. And then they went out of business, got into forms and digital processing and data, and it evolved. We see it all over the place. There's all kinds of experiences, blockbuster. We talked earlier prior to the show. I was in the video industry in the 80s and developed a chain of stores and sold out to the company that sold out to blockbuster well blockbuster should have invented netflix right and i precisely think, and i think they could have bought it at a time i remember reading somewhere that they could have, <laughs> could have bought it for next to nothing but they were in the wrong business and so we yes they decide. defined it as we give
0: people vhs and maybe dvd rather than we deliver
1: entertainment it's like one of our businesses is we help our clients get more clients the way we do it evolves and changes constantly the bottom yes. line is we help our clients get more clients. So our podcast, Becoming Preferred. It changes over the years. I've been doing this, and since I wrote the book on it, it it's evolved. And the way we become preferred, that's the goal. And so we keep a broader umbrella and it keeps you relevant. It keeps you focused on the right thing. So very I like much so. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert and grow our business and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the active campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Larry Stevenson. Let's unpack some of the things you said there. You gave us five approaches in your model. Number one was generating possibilities. You talk about, we got to think boldly and we need to, within that framework, list the ideas, list our our thinking. And and I know it's tough inside of organizations because if, say we're in a boardroom and we're talking about something, we're doing some brainstorming, we're just listing ideas as a leadership group. Right away, the minute you come out with an idea, there's somebody in that room judging that idea and they're already figuring out why it doesn't work because it's not their idea. So having a safe environment to create those ideas is probably essential. I'm sure you advocate for that or individually write down what your dreams and visions are for it so that you at least have them. So then you can then determine them. Now you have some questions in your writings and in your programs on how you can generate those possibilities. What are those five questions? And I give you the big hint, but it's all with that. What?
0: (laughs) And I want to reinforce this concept of creating a culture that is a possibility culture. Mm. rather than raining on it. And too many organizations, like you said, too many situations occur where we begin to get great ideas and then someone starts curtailing them too soon. And I'm not saying you pursue every possibility, but you should generate as many possibilities. And the questions that I suggest that both an organization and an individual ask is first, what do I want to be? What do I want to be? As you said, do I want to be an organization that sells VHSs? Or do I want to be an organization that delivers entertainment? Do I want to be preferred? That's a crucial one. And you start saying, how can we be preferred by our audience, whoever that audience is? The second question is, what do we want to see? What do I want to see in our organization? Do I want to see creativity? Do I want to see growth? Do I want to see new branches? Do I want to see new market niches? What do I want to see in our clients? Right. When I envision my client, what am I seeing? And then what do I want to do? What do I want to do as an organization to improve productivity? What do I want to do to get the new locations? What do I want to do just to do? And then What do I want to have? We put that very low on the list. Too many organizations move the have to the very beginning. It's all about generating a dividend for the stockholder. It's all about the profit. I move it to the fourth one because having is an outgrowth. Of being and seeing and doing, but you want to define what are the profits you want to have? What are the sales numbers you want to have? What are the meetings that you want to have? What is the environment of the organization you want to have?
1: The outcome, the results,
0: the outcome. Yeah. And sometimes the outcome is also the environment is a Petri dish for an outcome. But too many times we ignore the Petri dish and we ignore having an environment, like you said, a creative one. The last question is, what do you want to give? What do you want, do you want, to, get, want right. to give to your employees? What do you want to give to your clients? What do you want to give to your community, to your industry? That was one of the amazing things about Steve Jobs, what he generated in Apple to give to the world in disrupting some of these old ways of doing things.
1: Well, I think he created Um, at least four or five different categories or changed them. They named the game, our phones. We don't need a movie camera anymore. Your music changed. The iPod came out. Then you had iTunes. And again, we bought music from Universal Music. We used to buy CDs, 12 songs on them, three of them you liked, and you had to buy the whole CD. Exactly. And then he invented iTunes, and we download them one at a time and build our own playlist. And <laughs> Precisely. Who should have invented that? It should have been Universal Music. And the music industry hasn't been the same since. So we see the disruptors coming in, and it does make it interesting. You have your advantage for a short period of time. I think yes. the soul is to, you have to eat your lunch before the competition does, and you get these glimpses of people once in a while where you can, okay, we're going to coast for a little while, but let's start reimagining what that future might look like for us. And
0: that's why I strongly suggest that management executive C-suite teams take some time every year, at least annually, to ask themselves those questions for us as individuals. I'm a strong proponent every year, and I suggest between whatever you celebrate for Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, to New Year's, take some time and generate the Possibilities of what you want to do in the next year. Oh, it's great. And you're going to generate 20, 30, 40 possibilities, but then select two or three that you're going to focus on for right
1: now. Makes sense.
0: And don't try and capture all 50 of them at the same time.
1: Well, it's interesting. When I went through the list, I was listening to your podcast and you were talking about it in one of your episodes and we'll make sure that we put your podcast information. I really recommend people who are looking to improve the ability to dream. And we'll get into that in a minute and get those dreams working for them. Listen to your podcast. If it's important to you, then it's important to you. But I think these are great questions to ask on a quarterly basis. For organizations and for individuals so that you can then chase after what it is you want because if you can't see it you maintain you're never going to get there you're like a boat without a rudder you're just going to be blown by the winds of change and you're not heading any direction whatsoever exactly
0: i grew up three miles from disney studios and had neighbors who all worked for mr disney and i just loved his vision of it's kind of
1: fun to do the impossible (laughs) It is the fun to do the impossible. And if we can see it, we can do it. If we can dream it, we can build it. Well, it's funny. We were talking about this in another episode a few weeks ago, and it was Wayne Gretzky. They asked him how he scored so many goals, and he said, I see it in the net before I ever shoot it. And his ability to anticipate where the puck was going to be and just envisioning. You see it. The bobsled luge guys, we talked about this a few weeks ago as well. In the Olympics, you saw them doing their little bobs with their heads. What are they doing? They're envisioning the course. They're practicing the course. As a sales professional and focused on selling, I go into a sales situation or say I'm going to an audience, I'm going to speak at a conference. I always envision the audience being warm and welcoming, that they're embracing the concepts, that they enjoy it. And I imagine the day that maybe I got a sending ovation or the day that something went well and it's having that dreaming mindset working for me, then it it just goes to work for you. You you put it into play and it, it kind of acts on its own. Very true. Very true. Let's talk about optimizing connections, uh, number two. Uh, Now, the goal is to optimize connections, and I think you recommend to do it often, business growth, our resources, our support groups, our relationships, or LinkedIn. What kind of strategies do you recommend there for us?
0: First of all, as you said, all kinds of connections. Too many times we limit that. Also, too many people try and do it in isolation, especially when you're talking to an entrepreneurial audience and they have a small company or you have the entrepreneur and then a bunch of just worker bees, Right. and they feel like they have to do it all on their own. And that can kill a dream faster than anything else. This concept of optimizing connections is so powerful because it allows you to tap into others. And those others, the first group I suggest is there are people who probably have already done or have done similar to what you're dreaming of doing. Yes, And they'll many times tell you how to do it.
1: Um, (laughs) And it'll work again.
0: Yes, it'll work again. You look at people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett who have written books, how they did it. And this can apply to if you want to become a millionaire by the time you're 30, if you want to be someone who's climbed Mount Everest. I have one friend who he wanted to surf every place that Endless Summer 1 and 2, and that was his goal. Nice. And he used Endless Summer to help him learn how to do that, but then he also researched more. So you start with people who have already accomplished what you want to, and they can generate ideas on how to do that.
1: Well, that crosses into some of your programs like Leaders' Dreams Come True, and decision makers get those results because they understand that the simple truth of that their dreams work best when their team members' dreams work So when they can get everyone on the teams working, or if you're an entrepreneur, solopreneur, you're working on your own, you have to have that dream first, and then you have to break that dream down into steps, I guess, in, in order to achieve the objective. And that's where other people can help you generate those steps.
0: Right. Too many times we think we have to come up with all the action and all the ideas. No, there are all kinds of people. There are people who have expertise that we don't have, and we can either hire it or have someone teach us the expertise. YouTube is an amazing tool amazing.
1: Yeah. to optimize anything you want to learn. And people are generous, people who are contributing all the time, and we understand what that looks like, and it makes you want to give back and help people. So it is an awesome tool. Uh, it is making it work. Number three, you talk about acting consistently. So it's that creating momentum, I think, and you talk about movement. Let's talk about that for a little bit. When you say act consistently, how are you relating it to making our dreams work?
0: So once again, your connections will give you ideas of action to take, probably more than you could ever do at one time. You select and say, okay, I am going to do at least four or five things a month, if it's individually. As an organization, you may say, we are going to do something, at least three or four things every week that we are going to do to move us towards our dream, to help that dream work, to allow it to work. And too many people will talk about it. I have a friend who says, my brother says, unless you get a check, you're playing house. Until you get a payment, it's playing house. You have to act, and act consistently. Consistently, And in the acting, don't expect every action to generate great results. It's that Thomas Alva Edison story, and I've seen it from 700 to 10,000. But it's basically when he said, I haven't learned 700 ways to fail. I've learned 700 ways not to make a light bulb. Right. Too many times in acting, if the action doesn't immediately bring about the result we want, we give up on it too quickly. And as you said, you talked about Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky knew when he started that most of the pucks were not going to go into the net, that we have to develop that muscle memory. We have to do it over and over and over. But he also knows that it's okay if it doesn't go in the net all the time. And too many people, if they don't get it in the net all the time, they get Give up. Right. No, you recognize that that's
1: part of this process and you keep acting. Well, we see it in basketball, we see it in baseball, we see it in all the major sports. Most of the time they miss, but when you do win, it it makes a difference. I was reading an article, the metaphor is used with an archer, and when we see an archer and the archer goes out and pulls his arrow and his bow and he shoots it on target. Now the minute he releases that arrow and it's shooting towards the target, he's out of control. In other words, the wind could come, something could happen, the wind blow it off course, an object could run in front of it. And yet, if he misses that target, we go, well, that's a bad archer. He didn't do that. Well, no, he was actually an excellent archer. He did everything. Everything he could do within his ability and control and got it to the point of release. Then all the other conditions come in and that can be lucky. It could be a deflection. So many possibilities can happen at that point. Yes. And you
0: just pull the next arrow and shoot again.
1: And just shoot again. And that's what you want to focus on is the shooting again and that consistency. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Now, number four was labeling limitations, creating that focus and looking at overcoming the obstacles and finding those limitations and then labeling them so that we know what they are. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. We
0: have to recognize, once again, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be obstacles. There are going to be problems, challenges, whatever. And I've discovered that typically Typically challenges can fall into three different broad categories. One are the desired limitations, and we label them as desired. We call it scope, right? What is the scope of what you want to do? And you have to define those limitations or everything can go completely out of whack. And I love your concept of staying relevant. If you don't define the scope, you can become irrelevant and start chasing things that aren't going to keep you on track, right? And that's another way businesses fail is they just go out of control on what they're chasing.
1: Chasing shiny objects. Right.
0: Yes. Or is the movie up? Doug, the dog says squirrel, squirrel.
1: Squirrel? Yeah. Right. So the the first
0: one is you label. This is my scope. I want, this limitation in time. I want this limitation in money. I want this limitation in location. Sure. The second undesired limitation I call real limitations. Those are things like money and time and skill, and they're real limitations, but you can create a plan to overcome those real limitations. You can say, okay, I do not have this skill, but I can hire this skill, or I don't have this skill, but I can learn this skill. Right. Or money is a problem, but here is a plan to generate the money. I was just reading the other day, Brandon Sanderson is one of my wife's favorite authors. Mm -hmm. And Brandon Sanderson, during COVID, just started writing some books for his wife. He wrote four books for his wife, didn't tell anyone he was writing them. And then she said, these are really good books. And so he decided to publish them. So he did a Kickstarter fund, just Kickstarter for four books, generated $33 million
1: (laughs) in three days. That's fantastic. Love it. So
0: money was a real obstacle, a limitation.
1: That's interesting.
0: But there was a plan to get around it. Yeah. The third category of limitations I call
1: windmills. I noticed that in your writings, what's a windmill and how does it relate? Okay. So a windmill. Windmill is an undesired limitation that is
0: false, but appears real. Sure. And the reason I call it a windmill is I'm a big fan of Don Quixote. I have a picture of Don Quixote behind me right now. Mm -hmm. And Don Quixote saw giants and Sancho Panza saw windmills. And to Don Quixote, they were giants and he went to battle them as giants. Those giants really weren't giants. They were windmills. And so that's why I use these false limitations that are pure real. I call them windmills. And they're totally irrational. They're totally illogical. But they appear very real to us. And so if I can give an example of one, one of the windmills that we run into in life is this concept of it's silly. All windmills usually come from experiences we had in our youth or early adulthood or some trauma. And this gentleman, he was a finance guy and he told everyone I'm a finance guy. And he hated finance. (laughs) And he was a chief financial officer for a multi-billion dollar company. And he had arranged a merger with another billion dollar company to pull the two together. And he was the architect of the merger. And in the process of the merger, he purposefully arranged for their CFO to be the CFO of the new company. And he came to me, he was looking for a job. And we were talking about this. And I said, what's the greatest accomplishment you've ever had? Now he's just done this multi-billion dollar merger. He says, when I was 13 years old and going for my first class Boy Scout badge, I had to make a map and I did a Bob relief plaster of Paris model of two feet to half-inch scale of three blocks of my community with every house, every bush, everything. Mm -hmm. He said, that was my greatest accomplishment. And what had happened is he had always wanted to be an engineer, but everyone in his family were accountants, even his mother was an accountant. And whenever he said, I want to be an engineer, they would say, well, that's silly, we're accountants. And so that windmill stuck in Mm -hmm. place, And this time he was now in his late fifties. He said, I'm going to pursue my dream. I'm not going to let this windmill get in my way. And so he looked around, he found an engineering company where the owner was going to retire in six years and had no one to leave the engineering company to. He went to work as the CFO controller for that engineering firm. And then using the severance from the merger, when the guy retired, he bought the engineering firm. And when you own an engineering firm, you can do all the engineering you want. But
1: he had to change that windmill. It still kept coming up and saying, why am I doing this? I'm an accountant. The negative thinking, why don't you go get a regular job? I wanted to get into acting and theater when I was younger, but my dad said, no, you should go into medicine or you should go get a real job. I know that as parents, we want what's best, but we try and project our biases on our families, our kids and other people or our experiences. And so that's a great reference. And I love the metaphor. I think it works.
0: Before we leave, can I use yours real quick? Yes windmills only respond to totally irrational things. So let's take yours. One of the things we'd say is you wanted to be an actor, the family would say, no, be a doctor, et cetera. What would your parents have said if your father was Lionel Barrymore, your mother was Maureen O'Hara, your brother was Dustin Hoffman, your sister was Meryl Streep? When you told them you wanted to be an actor, what would have been the response?
1: Probably run, run fast and run away. No, no, they would have probably said go into it. They would have encouraged it because you're seeing that. And they would. And have, so
0: sometimes the way yeah. to deal with the windmill is to just create this completely illogical artificial family. That's But it changes deal. the that's feedback.
1: Now you talk about that. I was reading some of the other windmills and that's what got my curiosity. It was for, I'm not ready. That comes up all time. I'm not ready to go there yet. And you have several strategies for dealing with that. The elusive guarantee is another one you talk about that yes. unless we're assured of success, we don't want to, speaking was always easy, training was always easy, but I've done things that have been difficult and challenging and I have been scared of the failure. And then it's like, all right, what happens if I do fail? What? What really does happen and how bad, and I have had failures and I've had colossal ones and I've just learned from them and they make you a little stronger or what is it that I really want and identifying those things. And I think those are windmills as well. And you talk about how to deal with those issues in your work. Yes. Excellent Excellent for sharing that. And that one that you mentioned, I'm not
0: ready or the elusive guarantee. Those are two of the biggest ones people run into. And the way you can tell the difference, for example, with I'm not ready, there may be a reason you are sincerely not ready, but you can create a plan that allows you to become ready. The windmill is no matter what happens, you keep telling yourself I'm not ready. Right. And I've had people who in the midst of succeeding still
1: tell themselves they're not ready, even as they are accomplishing the dream. Right, Or they're not worthy of it. Yes. And so it's knowing when you arrive too, right? And, And enjoying that journey. Because a lot of times you have to be open to the possibilities of change. You have to be open to... Things not going the way that you want them to go to or what you can control or can I control this? When people are creating, so we've got a lot of entrepreneurs and people are side gigs and independents and business owners and they, they all want something. They, they Everybody has this dream of working for themselves. They don't want to work for the boss and they all want to create some form of abundance in their life, right? And I think abundance has to be visualized. And you talk about abundance and developing that abundance mindset as you create your dreams. Talk a little bit about that.
0: I was very lucky. I was raised by parents who taught me, there is enough, there is despair. This earth is full of opportunity and look for the opportunity. And I was just listening to an audio track from a friend of mine named Mary Ellen Edmonds who talks about gratitude and relativity and so many times she talks about sharing she was in Indonesia in a home that was literally a a shack and the mother was pulling some boards over her children in the cold because she didn't have blankets and the child said I am so grateful that we have it so well that we have boards to pull over ourselves because others don't. And she talked about that concept of, it depends on where you're looking. And when we look and see abundance, when we see opportunity out there, it's so different than when we see scarcity. Scarcity is, I believe, a windmill.
1: I see new ways to make a million dollars every week. Maybe it's not every week, maybe it's every two weeks, but literally it's, do I want to put the effort into it and would I enjoy doing it? And if if I can't see myself doing it, it's not about the money. The money is not the reward. It's do I want to put the energy into it? So I I believe there's tons of opportunity out there. My philosophy on abundance was always, if you have your abundance mug, abundance is flowing into your mug. Some people put their hand over top of that mug and cover the abundance and nothing's coming in, nothing's going out. I always like to empty a little bit and put it away for a rainy day into another jar in case I live a long time. And then I empty the abundance cup. And then by emptying it, more comes in. And the quicker I empty it, the quicker it fills up again. So it's that's got, a great analogy. It's got to keep moving, right? It's got to keep moving. So uh, it does. It's interesting. Now you talk about, and I thought this was an interesting word, and it's purposely put into most of your writings and in your podcast, you talk about a lot how we allow our dreams to become realities. So you use that word allow, and it's interesting how you put it in there. How do we allow them to become realities? Realities, whatever our dreams are. That's a great question.
0: Once again, too many times we're our own worst enemy. Too many times we're too busy to say, Oh, no, I tried that. It didn't work, mm-hmm. which takes us back to Gretzky. The first right. 10 shots that Gretzky tried in the net when he was a teenager didn't work either. Should he have given up? And so it's allowing ourselves to generate the possibilities. It's allowing ourselves to optimize the connections, to get the ideas, the solutions, the brainstorming on what to do. It's allowing ourselves to act consistently. It's giving ourselves permission and time and motivation rather than cutting ourselves back with negative self-talk or giving up because of a windmill or whatever. I remember I ran into people who say, I I can't dream. I can't even dream because I've had so many negative situations Mm -hmm. occur. And Mm -hmm. I recognize those happen. People have had horrible, horrible things happen to them. I I was talking to a young lady last night. She's 18 years old and just left Afghanistan as a refugee. Mm -hmm. And because she got out, the Taliban killed her father. Terrible. And- you can't deny that these horrible things have happened. And yet she is allowing herself to overcome that, to heal. Too many times we have to say, Yes, I can do this. I can at least try and allow ourselves the opportunity of trying, allow ourselves to have negative situations where we learn how not to do it, to allow ourselves to improve. I loved Ralph Waldo Emerson's statement that that which we persist in doing becomes easier to do, not that the nature of the thing has changed, but that our power to do has increased. And we have to allow ourselves to keep doing it to get to that point. So to me, that's why I say, let your dreams work.
1: Let it out. Yeah, set the intention and then let the universe and your relationships all conspire to help you achieve that goal. It makes sense. Well, you've got lots of meat and potatoes. And one of the things I thought you did that was very interesting on your podcast, you actually have a call-in show so people can call in ahead of time. If they can't make the call, they can come back into your podcast and... Pick up the the information on the podcast and ask questions and share stories. We'll make sure we post that number. Is that a weekly program that you're doing?
0: It's a weekly program. It's on Wednesdays at noon, mountain time, whatever is daylight or standard. But it's at noon on Wednesdays, and it'll be in the notes, but it's on free conference call slash Larry 007. I don't know how I was lucky enough to get
1: such an easily remembered number. Well, that's a good number. Well, we'll make sure that contact information's in there. And then corporations or organizations, if they're having retreats, I know you do a lot of those kind of programs, can get hold of you. Again, we'll put your contact information. They can find you on LinkedIn. They can find you at your website. And I know you've got lots of good information there. And your your podcasts are listed there. We'll put all of that into the show notes for them. Like I say, there's tons of value there and lots of insights that people can do to uh, make their dreams work for them. And so you really have developed a great framework of letting your dreams work. If we look at generating all those possibilities and asking those key five questions that you you talked about, optimizing our connections so that we're not alone and others will help us and conspire to help us. And we're using the synergy of our networks acting consistently it's that movement that really does make that magic and you can create momentum for yourself and folk labeling the limitations so number four where we figure out what they are the real ones versus the imagined ones and then synergize purposely collaboration and so larry we appreciate your work and you quoted disney and he had an interesting quote as you said if we can dream it we can do it and it's kind of fun to do the impossible And millions of people would agree with those sentiments, but some just can't make it happen or comprehend it. So they need assistance to believe that our dreams will work. And so your five-step process, your framework, I think will cover that. And most people would agree with those sentiments, but most of us need some help to believe and allow our dreams to work. And as you say, do more, see more, be more, have more, and give more in your framework will help them achieve more. And so Larry Stevenson, Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having
0: me over and good luck to all the listeners to let your dreams work. My pleasure.
1: This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Bess Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.